Welcome to Storytime with Paul Doerr. This season of the podcast includes excerpts via live shows and in-studio recordings from my new book, I'm Leaving It, and other stories. Some of the stories are true and some are not. I'll let you figure it out. But they all hopefully have my trademark charm, wit, and profound wisdom. Purchase your copy of the entire book in paperback, ebook, or audiobook form at all major online booksellers. I also write a monthly newsletter that is both fun and insightful. To subscribe to the newsletter or for further information about the book, please visit pauldor.com. Today's story, The Clone Concert. Music is a transportation device. Not an original idea, I know, but true. It's an easy topic to write about. Sad songs that lyrically extrapolate lost love and heartbreak. Catchy tunes that conveniently fit into a three-minute song. Not me, no. When I think of heartbreak... I think of a 26-minute contemporary improvised piece of piano music recorded in 1975. It was a simpler time back then, mostly because I was not born yet. In my mid-twenties, I was in a relationship with a woman that lasted about two years, made it just under the three-year expiry date. It just sort of fizzled out, and I can only speculate that when confronted with the concept of a life with me, this person got a reality check. Speculation, of course. I don't know what was going on in her head. Near the beginning, she looked at my book collection and said, not a lot of women on those shelves. Maybe this was the reason, her ability to get right to it. She did have a point, and since then, I've tried to be better at gender balancing my books. Desperation on my part could have been the reason it ended. I brought a box of her stuff from my place to hers. We hugged. I hoped she changed her mind. Spoiler alert, she didn't. Anyway, the point is we didn't last. There is a silver lining to this heartbreak, the cone concert. Are we not a collection of likes and dislikes based on what we learn in relationships with others? After living alone for a while, I wanted music in my life. Not to be in a band or play for people, just for me. As a teenager, my parents shipped me off to piano lessons once a week. This wasn't my favorite thing to do at the time. My teacher was almost blind and her husband was totally blind. The lessons took place at her house, and the husband, a tall man with hair that stood on end like he received a shock on the second floor, always lumbered down the stairs to greet the students. The piano was in the basement, and the teacher began by asking me if I practiced during the week. She saw through my lies. When she needed to see something on the page, she used a giant magnifying glass, having to lean over my shoulder, getting her face right up to the music notes. She did this often because usually I played the wrong notes, confusing the hell out of her. 
At the end of every lesson, she played a piece of music. It was incredible and all from memory. At the same time, it made my heart swell and discouraged me from ever believing I could play like her. Here's a lesson for all the kids out there. Learn to play an instrument. Years later, I appreciated that I could read music. Sure, it was a pain in the ass at the time, but you'll thank me later in life. I secretly wanted to play the guitar. In the 1990s, when I discovered the Pearl Jam album 10, I listened to only those 11 songs for at least a year. Most young men have dreams of being a rock star, but the reason why I wanted to be in a band was that they got to wear whatever they wanted. A grown man wearing a plaid shirt, jeans, and sneakers? Sign me up. This dream remained a dream. I was never in any bands. I don't work well with others. Figured we'd get into fights over who was the front man, the drummer would sleep with the bass player's girlfriend, we'd argue about whether to sell out when the offers came from the record companies, and so on. Years later, when I was an adult, I decided to buy myself a guitar. I was producing a movie and wrote into the script that one of the characters always carried around a guitar, so I could write off the expense as being a prop. This was a scene where the character got mad and ripped the strings off the guitar. The actor went all method and wanted to smash the guitar like Pete Townsend from The Who, but I insisted this was out of character. The guitar was difficult to wrangle. I brought in a musician friend to help restring it and said, I'm having difficult time reaching my left hand around the neck. He took one look at the guitar and said, This is a classical guitar. The neck is wider, dummy. I didn't think he needed to add the dummy part. Maybe he didn't, but that's what I heard. He was the expert after all. He helped me string up the guitar and left me to it. To learn chords and frets, I was using online guitar lessons. After going through a few of these programs, I noticed that many of the songs they used were religious, like Michael Rowe the Boat Ashore or Amazing Grace. Where were all these secular guitar lessons? Practicing Michael Rowe the Boat Ashore one day, I heard a creaking as though I was in the hull of a ship in a storm. The creaking intensified, and one of the guitar strings snapped, striking me on the left cheek. The creaking continued, another string snapped, just missing my eye. I threw the guitar across the room. As it crashed to the floor, the remaining strings snapped and cracked like fireworks. My musician friend had strung them too tight. Dummy. After my guitar attacked me, I retired from the instrument. I still have that guitar, but now it's just decoration. A conversation piece. Oh, you play the guitar? Well, no, I quit playing the guitar after it attacked me. Great first line. But I still wanted music in my life. A few more years went by, and I finally bought myself a keyboard. Reading music really is like riding a bike. I found sheet music for the Cone concert and decided I was going to learn how to play it, a page at a time. The first problem, the piece is 87 pages long. The second problem, it's incredibly complex. But it's all about the journey, right? It's not like I was planning on playing this live for an audience. On January 24, 1975, jazz and classical pianist Keith Jarrett performed a clone concert. The concert was completely improvised, and as Jarrett said, the music played should go as quickly as it comes. The subsequent album went on to become the biggest-selling jazz album in history and the all-time best-selling piano album. Jarrett is known as a very physical player, meaning you can hear him on the recordings grunting and humming along. 
and he almost seemed to be dancing on the piano bench. The concept of the concert was for him to step on stage with no notes in his head and make the music up entirely in the moment. To this day, I still pull out the concert. For me, he accomplished what he set out to do. At the beginning, you can hear hints of themes and melodies, but most of the piece is searching around for what to play. The music gets dark, lighter, dark again. Near the end, you can hear when all of the searching comes together, erupting into a rapturous conclusion. After a week, I was on page two. There's stuff going on in there that I had to go back into musical theory to figure out. Page two after a week. Took Jared about an hour to make the whole thing up. Why am I obsessed with the clone concert? I'm sure some people would listen to it and think, this isn't even music. But there's something to it. Maybe it's Jared's voice humming along, him banging on the piano. Maybe it's when you can hear in the music a searching for some kind of theme, some kind of something, and you can hear it in his voice when he hits it, when everything comes together. There's an imperfect humanity about the piece. Jarrett just sat down with a blank mind and did what is so amazing about musicians, about art, hell, about human beings. He created something out of nothing. Where there was only dead air, he filled it with desperate notes. The audience listener and the player not sure if this was going to work, not sure whether this was all going to make something coherent. Isn't that the point? To make something that exists in a moment? Something shared between people and that connects them to the creative spirit? It speaks to me in a way that represents the mystery of creativity. Where does it come from? How and when is an idea born? How does it evolve? When I hear the clone concert, it doesn't matter. I don't have these questions. It is just something that exists, and it makes me feel. It takes me to a place that is far away from existence as I know it to be, yet is organic and natural like it came from beneath the dirt itself. Playing the clone concert through my own fingers transported me back to thinking about the ex-girlfriend that introduced me to it. Not in a way where I wished to win her back. After more than a decade, we're both different people. It was also not a wish to be back in that time with her. It was more of an appreciation of our time together. How fortunate can one person be to have, if even for a limited amount of time, a joining with another who teaches them things and makes them a better person? Above, I said I just wanted music in my life for myself, not to play for others. I lied. After working through the clone concert, I wanted to share it with others. So I arranged a small concert in my apartment for three friends of mine. I even provided light snacks and refreshing beverages of the alcohol variety. Want to get people to indulge you in playing a piano concert for them in your apartment? Provide light snacks and refreshing beverages of the alcohol variety. My goal was to accurately recreate the concert. Let me say this up front. The playing was terrible, but in addition to playing mostly right notes, I banged on the keyboard whenever Jarrett did, cried out in ecstasy. As I got deeper into the piece, my body and mind were completely transported to a different place and time. Transported to an art show where I met some friends. It was winter and we stored our coats under a bench lining the west wall. My friend introduced me to this woman who had the most vibrant mind I had come across. We hit it off right away. 
As the show came to a close, a man walked past me with a coat on that resembled mine. It was mine. I kindly asked him to remove the coat and give it back to me. He replied, but it looks better on me than you. I had to hand it to him. He might have been right, but come on, man. Still, he did not hinder my mood of meeting that vibrant mind. She texted me that night with her phone number, and we started spending time together. It's possible to miss someone without feeling sad about it, right? I've not seen this person in over a decade. People move through our lives. Sometimes we are a major piece of their history. Most of the time we are merely a footnote. Even though I am most likely a footnote to her, I'm okay with that. The clone concert is a way to keep her alive in my mind. Sure, it's her from years ago, but those that pass through our lives also get frozen in time. Relationships that end are not failures, just bad timing. One of my greatest fears is that I forget. Forget the people who have impacted my life. I want to remember her touch and her voice and the mole on her cheek. I want to remember that it was like being with a creative and intellectual person sitting in the same room with her as we worked on projects, breaking to share some revelation, peeking over each other's shoulder to see what we were writing, to debate and argue lovingly, to disagree respectively, to make love, to laugh. My favorite thing was to zero in on what made her laugh and exploit that at every opportunity. The clone concert has become something familiar to me. It makes me feel good and sad and angry and melancholic all at the same time. When I played it for my friends, my ex-girlfriend was there. I slipped into a dream that included her wherever she is in the world. A thought popped into her head. She should turn on the clone concert. Something she hadn't listened to in a very long time. As she's listening, she is transported to my apartment where I am playing the piece. The notes sync up. In my dream, it's raining, and each raindrop creates a memory for both of us, syncing up our thoughts. We sit in our respective worlds, the worlds we have created for ourselves, worlds that are entirely different from when ours collided all those years ago. We smile at each other across oceans and continents. However idealized our memories, we smile, the music creates a small space in our minds and hearts for each other. When I finished playing, my friends were gone. It was dark outside. Chairs were empty. I get it, the piece is long. It didn't matter because there was still someone else in the room with me. And before she disappeared, she smiled at me with a slight smile, the mole on her cheek disappearing into her dimple. Sometimes, Light snacks and refreshments of the alcohol variety are not enough. Sometimes what you need is a piece of music from decades ago. Thank you for listening. Again, if you'd like to purchase a copy of I'm Leaving It or any of my other books, they are available at most online booksellers. The live performances were originally performed and recorded at the monthly storytelling event, Stories We Don't Tell. To learn more about Stories We Don't Tell, head over to storieswedonttell.org. 
or everything else, please visit paldor.com.